Welcome to Vampire Month on the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. Over the next month, I plan to bring you a number of interviews with vampire pilots and ground crew. In this episode, I interviewed Graham Tommy Thompson, one of the early vampire pilots of the Royal New Zealand Air Force. Here's that interview. And I'll start off by asking your full name. Graham Edward Thompson. Okay, and you're known as Tommy? Yeah, since my, I joined the Air Force, that was my, my known name then. Yep. Uh, and uh, your date of birth and place of birth? 1930, down in Wellington. Okay. And your service number, do you remember that? 73487. Okay. So can you tell me about when you were growing up, did you have any interest in aviation? Really, I probably did from quite an early age, uh, yes. Yeah, it was my uh, my following virtually. Okay. Do you remember the first aircraft you ever saw? Uh, I think it was a, a Wildebeest or the Baffins. They were operating out of uh, Rongatai. Oh, right. Uh, my father worked for the Vacuum Oil Company and he was a uh, tanker driver and he used to re- be there quite a bit with the refuelling and delivering the fuel so he had quite an interest in, in what was going on there and uh, I went with him a couple of times and sort of saw these big air, lumbering aeroplanes fantastic and then uh, they had a big air show down there and I remember sitting on one of the hills overlooking the aerodrome and watching the display is that the 1938 air show probably would have been there's the f- big First big Air Force yeah. air show. Wow, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I've got the um, souvenir brochure thing, the, uh, you know, the, the book that they oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I've got one yeah. of those. Um, and so did you sort of decide at that young age that you wanted to fly? Uh, probably uh, it developed. I think at, at that stage there was some, some breakfast food or something that had Peter the Pilot or something or other. Yeah. And I remember they were collecting all those things, and then eventually it just followed on that I, I became very interested in aviation. And uh, then we moved out of Wellington and went up to a place called Wairau, which uh, had nothing at all. Uh, so we used to watch the uh, Dauntlesses and uh, fly over in formation when they were, they were based up in Gisborne. Okay, they would have been the Avengers, I guess, rather than Dauntless. I think they had Dauntlesses up there, I think. There were some Avengers around there. I could be wrong. I yeah. had an idea they had some Dauntlesses there. Okay, okay. Interesting. Uh, so at what point did you actually apply to join the Air Force? Well, actually, before that, I belonged to the Air Training Corps at Wairau, and... Uh, we had uh, a little group there and uh, went down to Trentham and did a weekend down there. And then later on, the opportunity came to get free flying. So I applied for that and then went up to Gisborne, stayed at a, a person's place, bike out to the aerodrome first thing in the morning uh, and flew... Uh, Learned to fly the Tiger Moth. Right. Was the war still on then, or that would have been a bit later? No, uh, that was then. That was that was about 1948. Right. Yeah, 48. Yeah. They had the air 
training corps system took you up to wing standard. Okay, and did you actually go solo with that? Yes, or? yeah, went solo. Quite interesting uh, that uh, my first instructor was a chap called Killian, and he had actually been a, uh, a squadron commander of 14 Squadron. Yeah. And the other chap was Snow Reynolds. He didn't, uh, he only did a bit of instructing there, and he'd also been tied up in the Air Force, and I think he'd had a bailed out at some stage. Indeed, you were. Yep. In his career. Yep. He was 14 Squadron as well. I think so, yeah. 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 He's one of the originals. So there was quite a... Didn't necessarily come out at that stage, but it, 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 I found out later on. Yeah. yeah. And uh, tell me about when you actually got into the Air Force and uh, the you know initial training and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I applied for the Air Force and... Uh, was selected and went down to Christchurch May the 10th, 1949. I remember, I had to go by rail car from Wairau down to uh, Napier, sit around for a while, then get the train down to Wellington and catch the overnight train um, ferry down to Christchurch. Uh, and I joined up with uh, four, four course which was, uh, we started off with 12 pilots, uh, nine of us eventually got our wings. Uh, it's quite a, a, a good course. Uh, we ended up with, uh, one became the Chief of Air Staff and then the Minister of, uh, the uh, Chief of Staff, two Air Commodores. The rest were tied up, of us were tied up with aviation, so uh, it was quite a quite a famous course, I thought. Yeah, sounds like yeah. Did, uh, I think it was six months ground training, and then another year with the flying, started off on Tiger Moss, and then on to Harvard's, and uh, we all, nine of us graduated with wings. And so where did you get posted to after you got your wings? The, I got my wings and I was posted to an air flight for uh, six months, flying the uh, Anson Mark I, doing uh, navigational training, training navigators. Uh, during that time we had a break of I think it was two months uh, with the 1941 wolf strike and I ended up down in Bluff and the strike finished down there, then I went, went to Dunedin, Port Chalmers, and then Dunedin, and then up to Wellington, and then the wolf strike finished. And then, uh, not quite sure why I was post picked up a posting to 14 Squadron, but suddenly out of the blue, 14 Squadron, I ended up uh, at a Harkia, back with most of the four-course four chips. And that was 52, 1952. So that's just at the point where the vampires were coming in, wasn't it? There's no vampires here at that stage. Uh, we did quite an intensive, uh, what you would call a ground course, I suppose, of how the jet engine worked, and, which was a, a new thing. Uh, then they, uh, they eventually 
assembled them at Hobsonville and they had a, a test pilot came out and he flew the first ones down to Ahakia. That was quite a long time after we'd actually been at Ahakia. I can't, can't quite remember how long, but uh, it was quite quite a bit of excitement around the, the airfield when the first vampire arrived and landed. Yeah. Uh, so how long before you got into one? Oh, now now you're asking me something I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've got a fair idea. There was a few of the uh, post uh, pre-war chaps had uh, got to fly the, the vampire a li little bit. Uh, I have a feeling I was the first post-war trained pilot, first one to fly a jet in New Zealand. Uh, I was the first one that was put in the vamp for first solo. Uh, no jewels at that stage. Oh, right. Oh, no. no. We, we, we used to practice with uh, Harvards come in at a faster landing speed. And uh, then the uh, first solo was if we used to take off and go out and handle the aircraft. I'm not quite sure whether we did a stall or not. Uh, and then we come back and then we would do a ro what they called a roller, uh, touch and go, and, and then come in and land. And uh, it was all over, first solo. Wow. It <laughs> must have been pretty thrilling. Well, I, I, I had a, a little bit of an interesting experience because at that stage they were hammering on about aerodynamic braking. So on the first, on the first on the touch and go, uh, I was concentrating on the uh, aerodynamic braking and you can't do two things at once and I tried to do the aerodynamic braking while opening the throttle and the aircraft leapt into the air fairly smartly and steeply. Uh, all was eventually controlled but it was definitely quite a spectacular departure <laughs> from all on the ground. I guess uh, at that stage everybody was starting to get into the training up on the vampire. And yeah, we had a, we had a program and it slowly de evolved. You know, first of all the basic flying of it, and then eventually uh, onto a bit of night flying, cross country, and so it developed. And then we got onto the armament uh, side of things, uh, rocketing and dive bombing and air to ground, air to air. And, uh, and we slowly worked our way up until we found out that where we were going. So did, did it have any vices that you found? Vampire, no, it was quite a, a straightforward aeroplane. Once, like all aeroplanes, once you become proficient with the aeroplane, uh, it was a good aeroplane to fly. No, basically it had no vices. Like all aeroplanes, if you pushed it too far, and did the wrong thing, it had some vices. But uh, most of the high-speed high stalls and that chaps did, uh, it was quite easy to recover from if you had the altitude. Okay. Uh, and so you um, you were on the squadron when they said, you're off to Cyprus. Yeah. 
And at that stage, quite a few of the Mosquito guys from 75 Squadron moved over to 14, didn't they? Yeah, two, uh, two of them came across, uh, Jones Pritchard and Rod Delberg came across from uh, the Mosquito Squadron. They joined the squadron fairly early, at the initial, just, yeah, at the, just after the initial stages. Okay. Yeah. Oh, right, I was thinking it was more than that, so that's interesting. Um, and then... What was your preparation for um, Cyprus like? Did they had to give you training courses on flying in the heat or anything like that? No, we no no we had nothing like that at all. No, we, we it was just suck and see. Uh, there was no uh, no preparation for uh, operation in in down the desert or in the heat or anything at all. Yeah. And you guys all just piled into a Hastings and flew up. Not all at once. No, we we did, we went across in in various uh, flights. I forget which one I went with, but the initial Hastings went, and the rest of the squadron sort of hung around, and and so we went in dribbed and drabs. Uh, took a week to go across to Cyprus. Ten-hour flights each day, type of thing. Uh, and then the uh, first time well, most of us had ever been out of New Zealand, which is quite a quite an experience. Yeah. And what did you think of Cyprus when you arrived? Well, it took a little while to sort of get to know Cyprus, really. Uh, when we first arrived, we, we landed, I think we landed at... at, at strip out in the another part of the island, Timbu, and uh, was fairly desolate. There was, wasn't anything on the thing. Then we transported into an RAF station, which was no different to a lot of other RAF stations, so we didn't know what Cyprus was like. It wasn't until we started to get out and go into town and things like this and slowly work your way around the, the country that you found out what it was like. It was, it was the best place in the Middle East. It certainly was better than down the, the canal zone, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, the um, aircraft that you were given were uh, FB9s, weren't they? Yes. And yeah. they were on loan from the RAF? From the RAF, yes. Yeah. So were they much different from the ones you've been flying? Basically, no. They just had a few more interesting things. I think they think they had uh, refrigeration units and uh, a few things, but best basically the same. Probably not quite as fast, but there was only splitting hairs right. uh, as far as Mark number goes. But basically, they were the same aeroplane. Okay. It, didn't, it didn't take any uh, extra conversion or anything to, to fly the things. We just hopped in the things the way you went. So um, just recently, uh, some slides uh, were found, and Brendan Deere was sent them, and he sent them to me, coloured slides that were taken there of the aircraft. There's about four of them. And we think they must be right at the beginning when you guys first got them. But in those coloured slides, the aircraft have got a lot of colour on them. There's, there's red bits, and there's blue bits, and there's yellow um, tailplanes. Do you remember them being colourful? And there was one that was in camo. 
And they're, no. your, they're your guys' aircraft because you can actually read the numbers and they, they stack up as being ones that... No, I can't, I can't recall that. Isn't that amazing? The only, the only difference the, each aircraft had was we had our, our own uh, A, B, C, Ds and Es and Fs and sometimes we had little caricatures on the, painted on the thing. Uh, we, yep, yep. But... Uh, the RAF frowned on that quite quite badly, but we managed to keep them on for quite quite some time. Uh, now I can't can't recall. There's uh, the odd aircraft used to come in from the Middle East uh, that had camouflage on, yeah. but uh, I can't recall anyone any any on the squadron being camouflaged. I, I wonder if these aircraft were. Um right when they arrived and they might have all got sprayed silver before you guys actually got there because it's it's fascinating that they, the numbers stack up as being your guys aircraft well in that case they could well have been uh, delivered to the air, air, airfield. airfield before we arrived there and had been uh, sprayed spray painted uh, the, the silver all our all our aircraft was silver yeah 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 exactly. it could well be if then if they had the same serial number yes yeah yeah, yeah that would make sense. Uh, that must be what the case was because, and they haven't got the the black panel with the white diamond on, which you guys put on there later. Um, so, yeah, that kind of it's interesting to find out the time of uh, the the actual you know when these photos were taken because the guy who took them is dead now. Uh, his name was uh, Brian Darrow, I think it was. He was a ground crew uh, guy, but um, yeah, his son found these photos but yeah that's, that's fascinating uh, it could be we had a, a Ford lot of chaps went across to Cyprus to the first first lot and they bedded the whole thing down it could well have been uh, at that stage they were might have been there when they were there exactly yeah that makes sense before the, the main squadron arrived yeah yeah uh, the, they normally the Air Force calls it the advance party, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, we had an advance party, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I think those the aircraft were all second hand, didn't they? They were come from other units, so it could be why there's a mix of different colours. Could, all... could the, the, yeah. yeah. That's outside my sphere of knowledge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me about uh, the flying that you were doing, the, what sort of operations and... It was all busy. It was busy. It was. If we weren't doing armament work, we were doing exercises. Uh, well, it was. There was always something going on. We were, if the airplane was sitting on the the tarmac doing nothing, it was supposed to be in the air. It was brilliant. As far as a pilot's point of view, uh, you couldn't wish for anything better. The aeroplane was to be in the air as much as it could be. So, and as sergeant pilots who had a little bit uh, less to do, if you like, uh, usually had most of the hours at the end of the month. Right. Uh, we did very well. But, uh, yeah, the I think we worked up slowly until the stage we we got into the armament work and... Uh, and got involved quite a few. There was always exercises going on around the canal zone or even in Cyprus. And I've got it all logged up there, but I can't remember in what sequence. Yeah, 
uh, used to do support for things like parachute drops uh, with the commandos. They used to uh, do a bit of that, and then we go down the canal zone. The canal zone was always uh, intercepts with uh, various groups. Be a, would be the attackers and they would be the defenders or vice versa and that went on quite regularly on a regular basis and we'd spent quite a bit of time down at the canal zone while various other squadrons came up to Cyprus to do their arm and practice camp. We would replace the, the, the squadron at Abiswar or Devaswar while they did their, their, their stint up at uh, Cyprus. Okay. And, uh, okay, so you guys did move around a little bit. Yes, yeah. Uh, we did the uh, coronation came along uh, and we were picked, our squadron was picked because it was mooted to be one of the best in, this, in the canal zone uh, to go down to East Africa for the put on some coronation displays, which was probably the biggie for the whole squadron, uh, a massive event, uh, flying-wise, and uh, country, countries looking at different cultures and everything. So which countries did you fly to? I went down to Uganda, uh, our, our section. One section went to Tanganyika, the other one went to Kenya, and well, I went to Uganda. Okay. And, uh, so that that would have been an interesting trip just to get to Uganda because it's a fair way across the Africa to get there. It was interesting. Uh, yeah, I've, a couple of incidents uh, I could relate, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, we did. Uh, Went down to, first of all, we went down to uh, Fayad, I think it was. That was the main staging put, put, uh, airfield out of the Middle East. Uh, and then we flew down to Wadi Halfa, refueled, and went down to Khartoum. Had a night at Khartoum, and so we did a bit of sightseeing there. Brilliant. Uh, the next leg was quite interesting. Uh, Tom Raybone was the leader of A Flight. And Gordon Soden was his wingman. And I think there was Russ Smith flew another aircraft, spare aircraft down. Uh, they took off uh, from Khartoum. Uh, climbed away. I think we left, it, Ian and myself left about 10 minutes after Tom. Uh, on the climb up, Tom advised as he was going back, Gordon had a aircraft problem so he dis they disappeared out. Ian and myself continued to fly, climb up. Uh, we were getting pretty close to the intertropical front and uh, we heard that uh, Khartoum had closed with a haboob, a sandstorm, so we, we were on our way. Uh, we got into the intertropical front a little bit of turbulence, wasn't too bad. Uh, one stage the aircraft felt a bit sloppy, but uh, 
I was a formating on in close formation. We were in solid clear. And suddenly Ian said, take over number two. And uh, I went straight on to instruments and uh, we were fairly nose up. Uh, so I leveled off the nose. Ian waffled under me and came up on my starboard side. And at this stage, my airspeed went to zero. So, uh, which was rather interesting. And we continued on, and fortunately we broke out of the uh, out of the cloud. But the interesting thing was, uh, I had no navigational gear. Ian had the maps, the, uh, the Dalton computer. Uh, we were out of radio range. We couldn't talk to anyone. Came out the other side of this front, and then were confronted with towering thunderstorms, QNIMS, and no way at all was I was going into it. Couldn't talk to anyone, couldn't get a, 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 a direction into Juba, and fortunately at that stage through the, the cloud I could pick up the, 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 the White Nile. Uh, so I turned towards that, and we then managed to get a steer into Juba. We got contact with Juba. And on the descent, my airspeed came back and Ian's airspeed came back. What had transpired, Ian's airspeed had been icing up. His pedo head had been icing up. His airspeed had been increasing. And uh, to keep the speed down below the mark number, he'd been just easing up a little bit. Uh, to such a stage that he then decided things weren't right, so he let me have the the flight. Uh, my airspeed did the other way and just went to zero. Yeah, fortunately, they came right when we uh, we came in. So uh, uh, I'll tell you, there was two very relieved people on the ground at Juba. Very relieved. Not bad. Uh, very close. Yeah. So the, on that tour, um, were you guys doing like aerobatic type stuff, like formation aerobatics? And yeah, yeah, I was in uh, in Tom's aerobatic team. Uh, we went down to Entebbe, stayed at a flash hotel there. Uh, we carried out practice aerobatics over the uh, Lake Victoria prior to the, the big ceremony, uh, which was another interesting little exercise. We did a, a fairly tight formation over a, a practice canoe race. Uh, Tom got a, a little bit of a Russian adrenaline and, and we were right on the, on the surface of Lake Victoria to such an extent that uh, Chaps in the canoe bailed out. <laughs> they were over the side. Uh, we were so close to the water that some of the spectators said you could see the ripple on the water. We were pulling tight, tight turns. Uh, quite, quite interesting. So then we went back uh, to Entebbe, and 
with the vampires creating such a an interest there, people had never seen these little little things before. So uh, the tower cleared us to do some formation aerobatics over the field in uh, in a loop uh, across the runway. Tom pulled up, and as we came over the top, Tom said, uh, "Holding it." So we're going to have a fairly low, low pullout. And then suddenly he said, pulling hard. And I remember just seeing flashes of trees just under the... And we shot over these things. Uh, and Tom then said, are you with us, number four? And Gordon was... A voice came back and he said, I'm above you. And what had happened, we'd misjudged a little uh, hill. And uh, Gordon had seen it on the coming down and pulled away. We landed at, back at uh, Entebbe and uh, we had a little bit of a debrief and Tom said he'd had a bit of a, a rush of adrenaline. Uh, and uh, everything went all right after that. We did the, did the, the display as, as normal. The other thing, good thing about the, uh, the trip down to Entebbe, we, we did what they call around the houses, a bit of a show of uh, the aircraft flying around all these little villages. And uh, we were down about a thousand feet, flying over savannah land with herds of elephants, giraffes and water buffalo. and they. Panic quite a bit when they heard the jets. Most of the little, little villages, thatched villages, the villages ran inside because they'd never heard a screaming aeroplane before. That, that sounds like a really interesting trip that you did down to Africa. Uh, yeah, memorable. Memorable. Absolutely memorable. Uh, one of the probably the highlights of most of the chaps there. We got out quite a bit to, with hospitality and, and trips around the area, source of the Nile, and what saw hippopotamuses and a few crocs and that. that yeah, m memorable. Uh, it's a bit of a shame that uh, there wasn't someone like an RNZF photographer taking lots of photos of you guys doing that trip. Because <laughs> that'd be quite good. But, um, one of the things I remember that uh, Rod Delberg told me was you got a new runway put in in Cyprus, and the first takeoff they hadn't swept it. Were you involved in that formation takeoff? I wasn't involved in that formation. I saw the aeroplanes when they came back. Uh, yes, they were uh, sandblasted, is the word. Uh, very fortunate, and once again, you know, how, how they could make a mistake like that. Yeah. But, uh, he, I think he was very lucky to get away with that. He was, he was, yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah. In, in the case like that, when the aircraft's badly damaged, could you just get the RAF to send out another one, or...? Yeah, we got, got aeroplanes aer replaced, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they they had a uh, a unit down in the, in the canals and the 
they used to fly these aeroplanes into and, and then patch them up and get them back onto some line, another thing. But it, it, was, it was in Cyprus. It was interesting. Always something, something going on. Uh, yeah, Rod, uh, that was a lucky one. Uh, yeah, I couldn't believe it when he was talking about that. Well, it was things like that that uh, you know, it was. It wasn't early aviation, but it was early-ish. Yeah. Uh, these things happen. Uh, you couldn't comprehend how they could actually have left all that loose metal on the runway and then yeah. without sweeping the thing just it, yeah it's an accident waiting to happen yeah and for the from the pilot's point of view uh it's just not something you'd think about no um you just assume that it's already yeah. when they tell you the runway's open that's right it could have been a complete disaster well it could have been two airplanes gone definitely yeah because he was saying it was an eight ship formation takeoff so um, yeah, I, think, I think there was only oh no, I, uh, you know, once again, seventy years ago. I don't know. Yeah, well, he said there were two, there were two in front of him that were blowing the stones onto his aircraft. Yeah, and there's one beside him, and he said the guys behind him didn't get it quite so bad because his aircraft took all the impact. Oh, um, okay. well, most of the impact. The guy beside him got it as well. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah there was always something happening in Cyprus at the at, at the drone or. I remember one uh, one day, the squadron had come up from Aden to do their armament um, practice camp. They'd uh, recently converted up, if I remember rightly, from Buckmasters onto Vampires. The Vampire had a slightly slower landing speed than the Buckmaster. Anyhow, in the in the morning, the uh, there was. One section was taking you off, uh, and one of them had a, an engine failure uh, on takeoff. So he aborted the takeoff and went off the side of the runway uh, in amongst the wasn't a fairly rough ground. So he wasn't in bad, too good a shape. And then uh, an aircraft came back from air to air uh, firing. Uh, came in a little bit fast and uh, continued down the runway and went through the, the fence at the far end. Uh, and he wasn't in too good a shape. And then I believe the squadron commander gave the, the troops a bit of a rally up and explained the, the, the correct speed to come in. Uh, not long after that, another aircraft came back from air to air flying with his uh, guns jammed came in, followed the instructions to letter, and stalled and went into the bank just before the runway. Uh, burst into flames. Uh, one of our firemen which was on duty at the time, he rushed in, pulled the pilot out, and meant uh, exploding ammunition. So we went off to lunch at that stage, uh, and so far there was one off the far end, one off the, the side, and one at the beginning. Uh, and lo and behold, a night fighter meteor came in, forgot to put his undercarriage down, and landed in the middle of the runway. So in the matter of one morning, there was four aircraft damaged. One, one at the end, one off the side, one in the middle, and one at the beginning. Wow. <laughs> Gosh. 
have been a lot of paperwork. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there was there was things were things were were busy all the time. Uh, what was your living conditions like there? We lived in a what they call a Quonset hut, hut. Uh, right now, my, and myself, uh, fortunately, we seem to be the only two in it. It carried, I think, it had room for three. The airmen were a little bit different. Uh, there, I think, about a dozen in a in a concert hut. Living conditions were sparse, but reasonable. Food left a bit to be desired. Uh, being in New Zealanders, we would probably like to would have liked it to be a better standard. Yeah. But, uh, at one stage, uh, the, the, at one stage there, we we had uh, up to five sergeant pilots on the on the on the squadron as they rotate, rotated. Uh, at one stage there, we had four four of us, and we weren't doing too good. We were actually having have to have vitamin pills to keep us fit to continue flying. Uh, if yeah, food wasn't brilliant, uh, but the living conditions were reasonable. Uh, it went five star. Yeah. Um, th did you mix much with the locals and, and you know, go out to town and that sort of thing? We were able to go down into the local town, yeah, Nicosia. Uh, we used to knock off in summertime at uh, one o'clock, so the rest of the day was uh, clear. By then, most of the chaps who wanted to buy motor cars uh, had had them, so we got got around the island quite a bit, especially over the other side, Kyrenia, which was uh, had nice beaches and good swimming. Uh, downtown, you they had nightclubs, which were uh, different to New Zealand, uh, what we'd be used to, and. Uh, had world-class acts, which were uh, very uh, pleasant to go and have a look at. Uh, some of the chaps uh, made quite a few friends with the, the locals, but I didn't make much effort to learn the language or anything like that. Uh, did you guys do night flying then? Yes, yeah. Night flying, we did... Uh, regular night flying down the canals and we did uh, cross countries uh, right up right down the, the, the zone and back uh, at one stage we tried formation flying at night which was uh, another another art which wasn't pers persevered with uh, it was that was taking things to bit to the extreme but uh, Whilst you were flying, or even just at the base, at the station, um, did you encounter any interest in other aircraft coming along, uh, either Allied or anyone else? Or? Different aircraft. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we used to. It was Cyprus was a staging post, and there was a lot of fairing going on. Uh, uh, 
crackhead had a look at my uh, photograph album Furies uh, going through the Pakistan's uh, uh, Supermarine Swift yeah there's always a, a, a few few aircraft going going through I believe the um, Spitfires going down to Burma also went through yeah, there. Yep. Yeah. It was quite a quite a transit of, of aircraft going from UK out to these various. Pa I remember Pakistan picked up quite a quite a few aircraft. Did you see much of the Americans at all, or was it mainly just British uh, aircraft? Americans had a uh, Mercator that used to come and go, and they were over the other side of the aircraft, the airfield, uh, had nothing to do with them. They kept a guard on the aeroplane when it was there. It would disappear every now and again, and then appear again in the morning. And we found out afterwards it was doing uh, these flights up over Russia, up over Turkey, over Russia doing surveillance, spy, spying. It wasn't long after that when the, the Gary Powers, they, f they found out that the Americans were doing quite, but there, there was a Mercator, never had much to do with the Americans there, but they were there, not in numbers. Yeah. They kept in themselves very secret. Yeah. But were there any, uh, Accidents among the squadron there? Any crashes? Let me think. There was wheels up once. Uh, we had the Prime Minister Sid Holland came uh, came to visit us. That's right. And the squadron put on a display uh, formation over, back over the uh, over the airfield and Ron's undercarriage failed to let come down, so uh, he landed belly up. And Sid Hollands immediately took him into the Cyprus Airways base and bought him a drink. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had a had a few uh, incidents. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Was that one? I hit a hit a bird went down in the uh, canal zone once. That uh, was wrecked the aeroplane. Uh, We've been doing some intercepts with another a uh, lot of uh, vampires from another squadron, and suddenly we ran. One of the ships ran short of fuel. So we dived down onto the deck. Tom Rayburn was leading, no, it was uh, John Wood was leading it, and uh, right down on the, the desert floor, and uh, a, a hawk came up and slammed into the in, just cockpit between the cockpit and the engine intake. And we were, went back into Abbasware. Uh, it wasn't until I closed down, I, I looked down on the side of the cockpit and Half the the gear there was all on the floor. It had shattered the side of the cockpit, uh, and the aircraft was actually a, a write-off because the the cockpit area was a bit like laminated uh, ply. Okay. And uh, that 
Yeah, the unfortunate thing was it, uh, it was the, the boss's aeroplane and uh, he commandeered my aeroplane to fly back to Cyprus and I had to climb onto a Valletta complete with my parachute and helmet and it looked a bit silly uh, and I had to endure a passenger flight back to Cyprus. And, uh, uh, the boss wasn't very impressed. <laughs> Not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, so your boss at the time would have been Max Hope, was it? Max, yeah. 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 We're squadron leader Hope. We were all on first, first, you know, except in when we had to say sir, but uh, he were, Max was always sir, but uh, so that everyone else, were, when he wasn't around, it was Max. And uh, yeah, we were a pretty good, friendly team, really. There was no, no rank or feeling. That must have been good being an RNZF unit that's on the other side of the world from the Air Force. You, you, you can sort of be your own thing there and not have to worry about Wellington or anything else. I think we, we, we were very much that way, yeah. yeah. We were a pretty select little group and we, 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 we knew everyone. We'd been together for quite some time, the initial squadron. Uh, yeah, in that respect, there's no... No rank, except when it needed to be used. Yeah. 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 So, how long were you there for? What was your tour? I, I did uh, 18 months there. Uh, then uh, two of us were, were due to be repatriated back. The squadron was going across to Malta for a, another exercise. Oh, I forgot to mention with the uh, DX 53. With the squadron went to Malta for the uh, for the big uh, exercise. They used to have an annual exercise there, simulating the uh, same thing that happened during the war with Malta. Oh yes. And uh, we flew across to Malta, and we were the the joint defenders with the Australian squadron there. And uh, we were the defenders in the United States Sixth Fleet was the aggressors uh, of carriers. Uh, the, uh, the exercise was due to start at 8 o'clock on a whatever day it was. At 8 o'clock precisely there was a, a roar and wave after wave of sky raiders and corsairs came in and uh, flew right along our line of nicely lined up vampires. Uh, the English were a little bit put out with that because the exercise started at 8 o'clock and they expected everyone to, to be in their bases at 8 o'clock. The Americans viewed it a little bit differently and uh, arrived at 8 o'clock. Uh, they were flying, they had sky raiders and corsairs, uh, banshees and cougars. The banshees and the cougars were the... Uh, the fast ones. We got involved with quite a few uh, intercepts with the, those aircraft. Uh, we couldn't couldn't touch them in the dive, but we could tangle a little bit on the pullout. Uh, there was a, there was a, another fantastic aircraft. I think we we flew. Uh, once again, gets a bit cloudy. 
and there something like 12 or 24 the squad our squadron flew, flew 12 or 24 sorties the yanks flew about f 100 or something or other there was airplanes everywhere and they simulated what had happened during during the malta uh, siege uh, there was airplanes everywhere uh, fantastic time yeah. good learning for you guys oh yes yes but uh, We did all, all sorts of different things. Oh, yeah, it was another interesting one. Uh, uh, four of us off the squadron were select, selected to do an escape and evasion exercise, which uh, I, I paired off with Ian Gillard. Uh, and Rod was with Mike Palmer, that's right. We were taken taken out by by truck in the middle of the night and, and dumped way out about thirty mile away if, if I remember rightly from the airfield or from Nicosia and uh, the idea was you had to make your own way back to a, a pre-selected uh, house in Nicosia. Uh, it was across rough ground, around villages, uh, Ian and myself got ourselves in a situation where we, we were obviously we had to bed down for the day in a little, little few trees because ahead of us was bare land with high, high ground and we knew that the, the chaps that were out to find us we were there somewhere or other, so we had to wait till dark. And by that stage, we worked out we weren't going to get to Nicosia walking. So we wandered, wandered out onto the main road and took our chances, flagged down the, the transport of some sort. Turned, a bit, turned out to be an, an a Air Force truck taking young chaps into Nicosia for a night out. Fortunately, they didn't know anything about the exercise. And we got dropped off at one side of Nicosia and we had to find our way around, around Nicosia to find the, the, the place we were supposed to get to. Uh, proved a little bit too difficult. Uh, so we tossed it all and we went back to camp. But, uh, it was another offshoot of what you, what was required. So, one question I have with where Cyprus is, you've got all the other Middle Eastern countries sort of bordering. You've got Turkey and Syria and Lebanon and Israel and then Egypt. Did you f sort of fly up to the borders of those other countries at all, or? I mean, obviously you're over Egypt with the Suez. No, most, mostly down to Suez. Uh, down to Suez, uh, Turkey was a, a no-no. I don't think anyone flew flew north at all. Uh, wasn't much incentive to go east. Uh, no, most 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 of our flying was down to. I know the uh, Australians came through. Uh, uh, on an exercise through Cyprus 
and they went across to Lebanon and uh, then came back to Cyprus and then back to their, back to their base in Malta. Okay. Yeah, well, it, it was interesting because, you know, with flying, you, you, you learn by experiences. And a lot of the time, uh, if you haven't got the experience, you, you can get into trouble. When I came back to Ahakia, after there was another thing, yeah, that was the other little thing. Now I can remember. If we, we, we were talking about the squadron had gone across to uh, to uh, Malta uh, on their second time, Pat McFarnham and myself were uh, left behind. Uh, there was no one else on, on the base except a few admin people, so we had to twiddle our thumbs and wait for a Hastings that was coming through to, to take us home. The uh, Hastings went US in uh, England, so uh, we just twiddled our thumbs at uh, Nicosia and fortunately I had a land of a friend's car. We used to fill in the day by going across to Karenia for a bit of swim. However, a Bristol freighter came through on a ferry flight going back to New Zealand and the chap that was flying said, uh, I can take you back to New Zealand. So uh, they rang up air department in uh, London. Uh, no, you can't, can't, can't take passengers. So uh, we uh, sat around and another Bristol came through. And this pilot said, uh, I can take you through to New Zealand. So he rang up and he got clearance to take us. And Pat and myself, uh, decided that uh, we weren't that 100% sure we wanted to go that way. So we actually said, no, we'll wait, wait till the Hastings, thank you very much. Uh, that uh, freighter was making an approach into Moripur in Pakistan and uh, flew into a monsoon ditch, ditch wrecked the aeroplane. Uh, we, uh, we waited for the Hastings, it was a good move. Yep. I know the crash you're talking about because I've interviewed a guy who was on board. Here's the signaler. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I felt sorry for them because when, uh, when we went uh, transited through Moripur, which was a hellhole of a place, uh, they were still there and uh, they were going to be there for a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we wouldn't have been in too good a shape if we'd been down underneath. No. So there you go, the fickle finger of fate. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that aircraft, basically, they. I think they took some bits off it and wrote it off and then they got another one off the production line and stuck the data plates on it. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, because I was still building our ones then. So, so that zero 01 was the, the second zero 01. <laughs> the other instant bit I was going to t tell you about, uh, I was back at Ahakia and uh, they were assembling uh, vampires up at Hobby. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I was to go up and do do some test assembly test flights. Uh, I think on the second second one I did there it was quite quite strange really because went from passenger up to uh, Fenuapai, you know, just transport across to Hobby, hopped on the the ramp and took off on the the grass strip. Uh, it was a rather strange setup because. We had no; they hadn't fitted up the radio, so we did the 
did the assembly test flight with no radio, which I thought afterwards was rather strange. Mm. However, this first time I came back, landed at Fenerpai, and at Fenerpai they used to put the drops on, do a flow test, and I, I wandered off and had lunch, came back, hopped on the aeroplane, went to start up and get to get a clearance from the, the tower, no radio. They had to get the radio chaps down and uh, they fitted the uh, crystals in and uh, yeah, okay. And at that stage they were using the shortage runway to Fenuapai. Uh, I got a clearance, yeah, clear for takeoff and uh, roared down the runway and there was a great big bang and the hatch, the little hatch door into the ammo bay banged up against, it flew open, it hit the canopy. Uh, I elected to keep going. You know, why I'm, I've mentioned that is that with experience, over in Cyprus, I was t saying the Australian squadron had been to Lebanon, I came back to Cyprus and they'd uh, spent the night there. Now, brandy and wine were reasonably cheap in Cyprus, and this chap, one of the pilots of the squadron, had loaded up his ammunition bay with liquor. And uh, once again, they were using the short runway at, at uh, Nicosia. And uh, as he went down the runway, the flap flew, the door flew open. He aborted the tack to the takeoff and went off right off the end of the runway over a bit of a cliff and wrote the aeroplane off. So uh, that's, yeah. I took off from Fanuapai with full drops on, uh, with the, the door open, the ammo door open. So as I got up, up a bit, I thought, hang on, uh, I've got to fly around to reduce my weight for the landing. So I thought, I'll fly down to Ahakia. So I flew the aircraft right down to Ahakia with the door open, up at altitude. I landed at uh, Ahakia. Uh, first person I saw coming across the tarmac was Wing Commander St George. Strode purposely up to the aeroplane, pulled the little step that you get into the cockpit at. He opened, he hopped up, and that, during the landing run, the door had closed. So he hopped up, he opened the door, had a look inside, closed the door, got back on the ground, and walked back into the hangar. I thought, that's strange, because I was expecting a little bit of trouble. It transpired that all the paperwork, all the history of the aeroplane, the maintenance logs, the whole lot, had been put in the back, in the compartment, and it was still there. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's lucky. <laughs> so, how much longer, when you got back to New Zealand, how much longer were you in the Air Force for? I, I got back roughly the same time as my five years was up, and I, I think I did another uh, six months, in which time I, I was then able to have a little bit of time to myself to do my a bit of swap about uh, 
going into civil aviation. And uh, once again, a little fickle finger of fate came into the into play. Initially, when I came back from uh, Cyprus, uh, I went over to Danavik, where uh, one of the squadron chaps, Joe Mace, was doing aerial top dressing. Because uh, at that stage I was looking looking to my future, what I was going to do. Uh, I went across and I flew with Joe. Uh, Joe put me in the front end of a tiger moth, the hopper area, and flew out to this strip on a God knows where. But it was a hell of a steep hill. He landed his thing. I sat on the side of the hill, watched him top dressing. I wasn't too impressed. Then I went up to Tauranga and flew with Rod and had a look at it. That was a little bit easier countryside to top dress. I went back to Ahakia. The fickle finger of fate. I was down doing air to ground flying, firing, and uh, our usual practice in Cyprus was as you had finished the firing run, you pulled up, did an upward roll, and went back to base. Uh, and so I did this down around my range. Uh, flew down, did an upward roll, went back to base. Unfortunately that day, also doing air to, air to ground, Tom Rayburn was unfortunate to crash into the, the, the range. Of course, in the court of inquiry that, that followed, it, it found that this aeroplane had been doing an unauthorised aerobatic. So I was pulled in down to the air department uh, for a uh, severe reprimand from the air commodore, from the CAS. And as I came out of there, I was then asked to go back in, so I went back in and had a, a little bit of an informal talk to the CAS. He said, yeah, how's things over in Cyprus, various other things, and then I was dismissed and went out into the office. And there was a chap called Stu Tai, who was a pilot, uh, was there, and he sort of said, you know, what are you going to do? I said, well, looks like it might have to be top dressing. I said, he said, have you ever thought of going into civil aviation, National Airways Corporation? I said, well, while I was in Cyprus, I uh, was contacted by uh, someone that said, you know, put an application in, and I got a, a, a very non-committal reply back, uh, virtually saying they weren't interested. So Stu said, well, I know they're, they're, they're shorter pilots there, and they're actually they're putting pilots through the Air Force uh, to wing standard to get pilots. He said, uh, hang on a second. So he then got on the phone to uh, the chief pilot of NAC and he sent me around there. So I had a talk to them and they, they said, yes, here's the application form, fill it in and send it back. So I went back to Ohaki and filled in the application form and sent it back. So, fickle finger of fate. Without that upward roll, 
I probably would have been a top dresser. Yeah, wow. And you might not be here now if you were. Well, there you go, yeah. Gosh. And so began another career. So what did you start on in the airline? What aircraft? DC-3. I did five years going on the DC-3. Then uh, I did a brief stint of going on the Viscount. Uh, and then I got com my command probably within five and a half years of joining. Okay. In the uh, Viscount? Or? No, on the DC-3. Uh, rough, roughly I did uh, another five years on the skipper of the th DC-3, ten years on the Friendship and ten years on the Boeing. Okay. Um, do you have any interesting memories from your airline career that would be worth recording? Different memories than the Air Force. Yeah. Uh, not not really memorable. There was a, a one flight I did uh, in a DC-3 was not like after the Kaimai incident. Uh, and uh, I got myself over the Kaimais in, in a, a bit of a similar, similar weather situation that had occurred before. And at one stage, I wasn't quite sure whether I was actually going to keep the aeroplane in the air. Uh, but uh, it was a bit, a bit worrying. No, no, rest of the airline flying is fairly, fairly standard. Uh, did a bit of flying up in the uh, South Pacific when we, we started to fly up to Tonga and Samoa. Uh, did. Uh, a little bit of flying charter when we did a, a, an arrangement with Air Pacific to replace one of the aeroplanes uh, from uh, Fiji across to uh, Brisbane through New Caledonia or Vila. Uh, no, just little incidents, no, nothing, nothing major. Uh, and you retired, at, uh, what, what year did you retire? 82. 82, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And did you do any more flying after that? Any sort of recreational stuff? Or? No, when I, when I retired, I made a, a pact with myself. I used to love my flying. And I, I had made a, a strong pact with myself. That was it. Uh, and that was... Yeah, fascinating stuff. I, I've really appreciated hearing your vampire stories. And did you have any in, um, interesting things happen while you were flying vampires in New Zealand? Were there any good exercises you did, or um, anything that sort of sticks in your mind? I had a little bit of an incident uh, up over the Mangere area. It's going to, up to. Uh, there was five aircraft going to uh, up to Fenua Pai for the an Air Force Day, I think it was. Uh, I unfortunately touched wings with another chap and uh, we uh, collided and uh, I parachuted out. Oh. Wow. And there was no ejected seat in the aircraft, was there? No, no, no. I found myself upside down 
and I knew I didn't have too much aeroplane with me. Uh, I couldn't see very much. I had a bit of blood around, and uh, I just let the, the harness go, and I dropped out. Okay. And uh, um, where did you come down? Into the water? Fortunately, I landed on the land. Uh, Ron Nan landed in the mudflats. Uh, yeah. It, uh, <laughs> I ended up in hospital for a while, a yeah. few few stitches and yeah. Where did your aircraft come down? Into the sea or? Part of that was on land, if, yeah, but uh, it was in bits and pieces all over the place. Wow. Must have been quite a um, a good collision, like a, if you, you're flying along together and touched. Must yeah, we're in, in, in Asheville on starboard. We were coming down about just over 3,000 feet, and we, we struck a little bit of him. I was, I, the, the briefing was uh, that I was supposed to be on the outside of the, of the, uh, of the, the formation. I ended up in the sort of middle, a bit upsetting. Uh, and uh, we, just, we just touched wings. I, well, I got the wings got very close, but no, I wasn't concerned at that stage, but something happened. And the two aircraft rolled together. That runs exploded, and mine uh, fell to bits virtually. Wow. Was Ron okay? Yeah, yeah, he was. He was good. Uh, okay. He he ended up just with I think a little bit of a cut cut nose. He had a bit of trouble getting out of his aeroplane. Uh, I think that was his uh, third mid-air he'd had. Wow. <laughs> Gosh. Jimmy the He was a fairly uh, well decorated. Yeah. Oh, here's another wartime 14 squadron yeah, guy. Yeah. Wasn't he? yeah, he was a, uh, one of the uh, flight commanders. Yeah. 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 Tom Ray. Uh, yeah. Tom was the other one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah gosh, that's incredible. Um, so I guess there wasn't any air display that weekend. <laughs> no, no, it was a bit subdued. They tell me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually do they remember. Did drag the pe they dragged the people in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do actually remember reading about that incident with Ron, but I had completely forgotten about who the other pilot yeah. was. And so yeah. that was, a, yeah, interesting, yeah. It was, it was quite a different day and age because uh, it was quite interesting. I, I ended up, as I say, in hospital. Uh, and... Uh, I had relations in Auckland, but that was, as far as the Air Force went, uh, they had a, a court of inquiry at the at the uh, the hospital. Uh, then came, I think it was the Friday, and uh, a sort of doc came around. He said, "Oh, you, you can go, you can go home, or you're released." Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I'd had no contact. Oh, they only went from from the Air Force uh, was the chaplain uh, and, uh, and the Court of Inquiry chaps. So there I am on the, on the Friday walking out of the hospital not knowing quite what to do. Now, I didn't know anyone at a haki. No one said what to do. So uh, I gave it a bit of thought. Uh, I thought I've got relations out at Howick. So I'll go there. So I hopped on the bus. I still had my arm in the sling and looking like face was pretty well a bit of a mess. Yeah. Uh, 
so I hopped the bus and found a way out to Howick and had the weekend at, out at Howick. And I thought, oh, better, better go back to Ahaki. So uh, went and hopped on the bus on the Monday and went into the, they had a transit centre in uh, Fanshawe Street. So I went in there, got a warrant to hop on the train that night. Went down back to Ahakia and uh, reported for duty and immediately put on sick leave. <laughs> wow. A different day and age of how to do things. Yeah, exactly. Did you have any sort of um, trepidations about getting back into the aircraft or was it? No, no, no. That was as soon as I could get back in the air, the, the quicker. When you first went on to 14 Squadron, I meant to ask at the time, and you said that there were no um, vampires just yet, did the squadron still have Oxfords, or had they gone? They were still around. Yep, okay. Yeah, I've got a feeling that yeah, we had an Ox Oxfords and, uh, for instrument flying and the Harvards for bloody pretending to be vampires. Right, gotcha. Because they had, a, they had, for a little while, just before that, they'd just been Oxfords, and they were for training the Mosquito guys, uh, you know, twin-engine training. Yeah. Um, oh, and I guess Dakota pilots and all that as well. So that's interesting that they carried on. Flew with old Air Vice Marshal Carnegie at one stage. Oh, right. The, uh, you know, you want to go flying in a, in a, Buddy Hanson. Okay. Down at a Buddy Wigram. Yep. And they couldn't find a safety pilot for him, an officer. Yep. So uh, they rang the sergeant's mess, and I was in charge of the bar that weekend. Yep. And I'd had a beer. <laughs> and I ended up safety pilot for the chief of Vesta. <laughs> Flight once with the uh, the airline. Oh yes. What was that in? A friendship. Okay. And which royal? Uh, Princess Anne. Okay. And old uh, the first one. Uh, Mark. Mark Phillips. Yep. That's a picture of a bird strike. Ah yeah, hawk. So that's on a harbour, is it? Yeah. Okay. Which Harvard? I don't know whether it's in, in context there. Yeah, it doesn't mention it. We did a lot of flying. You sure did. Yeah. It's a quite packed um, logbook, that's for sure. Well, as I said, now in Cyprus, the, uh, if there was an aircraft on the line, yep. and it could be flown, it should be in the air. Yeah. Did, did anybody uh, at Cyprus get to um, sample other aircraft like from other squadrons, like maybe someone trialling a Venom or anything like that, go for flights? Jeez, uh, can't recall. But, I was, when I, was, I was doing a bit of research into the old newspapers, which are all online now, and there was an article there about, um, I can't remember what year it was, so it may have happened after you were there, but 
um, one of the pilots had been flying and had an engine out and he had to glide for, he's up about 20,000 feet and had to glide all the way back. And it said he was in a Venom. And I thought, that's really odd because at that stage there was no mention that we were going to go on to Venoms at Singapore. So I wondered why they said it was a Venom. And, I, and I've wondered whether, you know, he might have been borrowing a Venom or maybe even assessing it. The, uh, no, the, the Venoms, the only Venom I struck in, in Cyprus, they, they did some uh, hot weather trials down in uh, Canal Zone. Okay. And they had a, a couple, there was a couple of Venoms there or... Uh, I didn't see any other venoms, uh, mind you, you know, I, I came back uh, 54, 50, yeah, 54, yep. the squadron was still there for a little while later on. Yes, yeah, they didn't leave to 55, so. Yeah, and then they went to Singapore. I'll have to look at that article again and see exactly where it, when it was, yeah. but, and who it was, because it mentioned his name, but. Did you fly the Meteor? Yep. What did you think of that? Nice aeroplane. It was the uh, Meteor 7. Yeah. We used to do a lot of target towing with the damn thing. Right. Uh, and a lot of trench, you know, going from A to B and instrument flying. Yep. So it was also used as the squadron hack to sort of get to places. And yeah, yep. yeah. Target towing wasn't too bloody good. You see the airplanes coming around behind you with the buddy still buddy puffs of smoke coming from them and getting a little bit fine and yeah. Uh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> with the old vamp, you know, 40 minute flights, 50 minute flights, uh, it doesn't take long to fill up a page of, of you know, three or four hours flying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When you were on 75 Squadron back in New Zealand, did you find it as good as being on 14 Squadron, or was there any difference between the squadrons? Yeah. Big, big difference. Really? The Air Force had changed. Okay. We, uh, when we uh, joined the Air Force, we were all bloody cadet pilots. Uh, and there was an esprit de corps and everything else that went with it. Uh, when I came back to uh, New Zealand, well, it, it wasn't too bad in Cyprus. We started to get the the, the, the chaps that had come in as APOs, uh, and then they were started to replace our pilots. Yep. And they fitted into the squadron quite good. Yep. Mainly because they had to, <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. Uh, when I came back. Uh, yeah, they were all, it was officer-orientated, yep. uh, and some of them were were all right, Yep. and some of them were a bit beyond themselves. Right. Uh, I had an inter interesting, when I, when I was recuperating after my, my bailout, I, was, I spent time down in the uh, air department, and... Uh, 
it was the time when they were calling or changing the system. Then they were going to bring pilots in as APOs, yep. commissions. Yep. And I've re I read quite a few applications. And some were keen to fly, some were keen because of the officer status. All right. Uh, and it was it sort of, and it was, uh, yeah. I know there were some, there were good some good jokers on 75, but there's a couple of there that were right. interesting. Right, right. And I ran, ran into a bit of, bit of problems. Uh, uh, I remember once we had a chip. Uh, Hancock, he was ex-Cranwell, I don't know whether you've heard of him. No, I haven't. No, he was ex-Cranwell, he was on 75 Squadron, and I was in the crew room one day, and the uh, phone went, and it was Wing Commander St. George, uh, can I talk to you, flying officer Cranwell, please? Hang on a second, sir. Hank! <laughs> yep. And uh, Mr. St. George then... Uh, Tore a little strip off me. This Jacob Hancock, the, 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 we had the, the there was a, uh, Curtis was the RAF uh, chap that was in charge of the squadron. So he he ordered all the chaps to, to go to the I think it's uh, the the airman's mess for a Christmas thing. Yeah. And Hancock said no. And Curtis said, "You shall." Yeah. And he refused. He refused an order. So they took it a little bit further, and uh, it was an unlawful, an unlawful order in the end. Oh, he got away with it. Got away with it. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, but Hank. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate yeah. this. I think very we've much. just covered it a bit, yeah. bit, bit hairy, bit fluffy, and types so here trying to get the get the stuff out from the back of my mind. Oh, you're doing very well. No, it's uh, really good. So, no, thank you. I appreciate it. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.